As we come now uh, to the scripture, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. Um, and we look to you for everything. So, uh, what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please, will you give us. And what we are not, please, will you make us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John in chapter 6. John chapter 6, please. I want to read, beginning with verse 22 to, I don't know where, verse 59, I think I'll stop. So it's a long reading. You're familiar with this passage. So follow along, please. I think it will help you. And, um, and we'll work our way through it in a moment. So John in chapter 6, please. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea uh, that there had uh, saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come? Uh, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, as, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, uh, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And then together, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, as I mentioned last Sunday, I want to take up these I am statements in the Gospel of John. Um, and this one in particular, uh, as we see it, uh, where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says it directly. We notice in verse 35, um, he says it directly again in verse 48. I'm the bread of life. He, he gives variations of it, for instance, in verse 32. He says, um, but my father gives you the true bread from, from heaven. And then again in verse 51, he says, I'm the living bread. And then again, he says, and the bread I give, uh, uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then in verse 58 again, he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Now remember... I took up last week, last Sunday, uh, the sort of the origins of these I am statements where God speaks to Moses and he gives him his name. Remember, Moses has two questions of God. The first question was essentially, who am I that I should go? And the second question is, what's your name? Basically, who are you? And, and God gives him this answer. He says, first of all, this is who you are, Moses. I am with you. I'm with you. That's your identity. Your identity is you're a person with whom I'm with. God says. And that strikes us as helpful because we realize that we're never meant to self-identify. We're always meant to identify with God and who he is and what he has for us, you see. So no matter what the circumstance is, whether we're healthy or whether we're sick or even whether we're alive or whether we're dead, the most important thing is that he is with us, you see. And that's who we are. And then he gives his name. He says, this is who... This is the one who is with you, Moses, and will go with you and be with the people. This is, this is the name that I give you. I am that I am, which means uh, I, I am. Always have be, always will be. I'm self-existent. Nothing made me. I exist from in because of myself. Uh, I'm self-determining. Nobody tells me what to do. I do that which pleases me. I'm not constrained, confined by anybody else's thoughts or wishes or what they think or who they think I ought to be. I simply am. And uh, I'm... Dependent, you see, on no one. I'm, I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I have all that, that I need within myself. I depend upon no one at all. And Moses would feel confident then to know that I am is with me, and I am is with my these people because because no one can thwart him, and 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 we can trust him, and and so that was good news, you see. And so now we come to clarify even more, Jesus is the one who comes to reveal I am. Uh, No one has ever seen God, John tells us in his first chapter. Uh, 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made us, made him known. And then you remember Jesus uh, makes that dramatic statement. Before Abraham was, I am. And they, oh my, now they get it. He's saying he's God. And then, and then to get into more detail, he fleshes some of this out. And these various statements in the Gospel of John where he says, I am as we find it here, the bread of life. And this is so important to us because as believers in Jesus, and I'll tell you, I told you this a couple of Sundays ago perhaps, that this is, this is the concept, this is the thing that changed my, one of the things at least that changed my whole outlook, my whole life um, some time ago, decades. And that is to realize that Christianity is Christ. That if we take Christ, we Jesus of Nazareth, we take him out of the equation, out of Christianity, we haven't got anything at all. Nothing. Because even when we look at the teachings of Jesus, the primary point of it isn't so much what he was teaching, for instance, about a moral life. But what he was saying about himself. His teaching was essentially egocentric. When he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it. it, says, but I say to you, that is, he was claiming an authority as God. This is what you ought to listen to. I'm the one you should listen to. How I understand all of the law, that is authoritative. I say to you, in fact, when he summarized the commandments, he said, of course, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. But then he said, but there's something new. And what's new is I'm here. And so you're to love one another as I have loved you. That's the newness of it, you see. It all revolved around Jesus. In fact, he stood up in the temple one day and he read from Isaiah about the Messiah who was to come. And he said that I'm, I fulfill this. I fulfill this. In fact, even after his resurrection, he came to his disciples and he walked them through the scriptures. And he says, it's all about me in the law and the Psalms and the prophets. It's all about me, you see. And he would call people and he would say, follow me, not simply my teaching, but follow me. He would say, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. He says, I will give my life as a ransom for many. I'm the one who will free you from your sins, its penalty and its power, and even ultimately its presence. I'm the one who will do that. You see, it all revolves around Jesus and who he is, so much so that the the most important question, it seems, that, that can be asked of anyone, that Jesus even asks, is who do you say that I am? Do you know who I am? That's the point of it, you see. That's the very point of it. So Christianity, our faith, is essentially Christ. And so the question is, who is he? And what does that mean if he really is who he claims to be? And so he comes with these statements. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. All of these. And we say, all right, are you? And if you are, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? And so now we come to this one on this day and he says, I'm the bread of life. And so the questions are, what's that mean? And who can really say that? 
mean, what's it really mean that he's the bread of life? And, and if we come to grips with that, we have to ask the question, who can, who can really say that about themselves with a straight face? Who can really say that and anybody really take them seriously at all? And the bread of life, we know, in a sense, of what that means. And we, we just run through the passage and we realize that it means that he's the one who gives eternal life, which means there's no life without him. Just as bread sustains you and you can't live without it, you take away food, we die. Well, Jesus is saying, take away me, you die and you have no hope. <laughs> who, can, who can really say that? Being a baseball fan, I remember how much trouble Reggie Jackson got in a long time ago when he was playing with the Yankees and he said of his team, I'm the one who stirs the drink. Which meant everything revolves around me on this team. He got in big trouble. In fact, he's still denying he ever said it to this day. Um, but, but, but who could say, I'm the bread of life. Everything depends upon me, you see. To have real life you need me, just as bread sustains your life. So then, I, and he's saying there's something deep within us as human beings, spiritual needs, that nothing, that no one can satisfy except for Jesus. We must, you see, have him. He must have us, else all is literally lost. And he's claiming to be that very one. He's saying, listen, possessions can't really ultimately satisfy you. They will let you down. Your position in the community can't ultimately satisfy you. It will ultimately let you down. The security that you may think you have, either by position or by health or by whatever it is, it will let you down. It can't ultimately satisfy. There's something deep within us that only Jesus, knowing him, having him, can really satisfy. That's what he's saying, at least. You need me for eternal life. You need me for real life. You need me to really be ultimately satisfied. Because you see, he knows that deep down within us, what we really, really need, what is always the craving, we can resist it, we can, we can, we can um, suppress it. But what's really there is this need in us to have peace with God. And Jesus says, I'm the only one who can bring it. I give my life, my flesh, he says, so that you can have eternal life. So that your sins can be forgiven, you can be reconciled to God. And, and so then you see that you know that he accepts you. That he sees you as right and righteous in his sight because of Jesus, you see. You, we need him for that. We need him to have peace with God. We need him for sins forgiven. We need him to be able to stand in the presence of God and know that God sees us as righteous. Just as if we've never sinned. Just as if we've always obeyed. How does he see us like that? Only because of Jesus, you see. And that's what we need. We desperately need to know that 
We belong to God, that we're adopted by him, that he's our all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise heavenly father. To whom we have access, that we can pray, that we can hear from, because we have his word. He says, Jesus says, you need this. Without this, you're lost, you're dead. But with this, you see. And I'm the only one, I'm the bread of life. I'm the only one who can bring this to you and sustain it, you see, and to keep you in it. And, And it isn't irrational or illogical when we have Jesus to say when difficulties come that I need not fear because he is with me. It isn't irrational or illogical when tragedy comes to say I can have peace. It isn't irrational To say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because it's Jesus who defends us at every turn. So if I have him, the great intercessor, the great defender, the one who goes before me, then it isn't wrong to say, I have life. (laughs) Even when we're dead in this life, you see. And Jesus says, no, I'm the bread of life. The bread of life. So then the question is, all right, if that's what he means by it, and we see that he's essential, without him there's nothing, there's no life, then, then can we have any confidence? And, and that's what he's doing as he walks us, as he, John records for us, what do we have in, in, this, in this passage? How do we know that he really is the bread of, of life? And, well, Jesus says, I have the Father's seal. He, there's a sign of authentication that I really am from God and God. I have the Father. So remember his baptism. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, 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 and John records for us in his gospel various signs. You, you probably remember uh, John lays out the purpose of his writing in John chapter 20 and verse 30. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the president's in the presence of his disciples, which aren't written in, these, in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so there was a sign that had just been given. Jesus had been doing a few signs. He turned water into wine, you remember, at the wedding at Canaan. He, he had healed a royal's official son. He had healed a paralyzed man who was by uh, the pool at Bethesda. He had actually walked on water, but nobody got to see it, which is really, I don't know, I thought it was really cool. And only the disciples got to see it. These others didn't get to see it. But, 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 uh, uh, but he had done some signs. And the purpose of the signs, you know, you know this, the purpose of a sign is to point you away from itself. Right? You're driving down the road. You see on I-70, there's a sign that says Lawrence 21 miles as you're coming from Kansas City. And it would be foolish to stop there. Right? The sign would whisper to you, keep going. Right? Keep going. And so these signs, if you can see the spelling of the word, have a sign, ifigence. Right? And they missed the sign, ifigence, the significance of the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Plus because it just says 5,000 men. You know this incident. You've been, you probably colored this or your kids did in Sunday school, a picture of this. But uh, you remember that there, a lot of people were following Jesus. 
And they were hungry, so Jesus said, let's feed them. It was a bit of a test to his disciples. They thought, well, we'll go to get some food, but we don't have enough money or time, or where would we get enough food to feed this many people? And he says, does anybody have anything? And there was a little boy, and he had five little, you know, he had lunch. His mother had packed for him just five little buns, probably rolls or something, and a couple of fish. Uh, and uh, so Jesus took it, and you remember what happened. He took it, and he, he prayed, gave thanks, and then he kept giving it out. And this little bit of food fed all of those, so much so that everybody was satisfied. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. There was an abundance. And so he fully satisfied them on that day. So then, 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 then they want to make Jesus king because they think he's useful. I mean, why not? If in those days, if 80% of your income was spent on food and you found somebody that could provide food for you, wow, look at the disposable income you'd have at that point. And so they want to make him king, uh, a, a, a loaf and fish in every pot or whatever would be his campaign. But here he was. So he withdraws. Disciples get in a the boat. They go to the other, other side, if you will, other place. And, 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 and then the next day, everybody realizes Jesus didn't get in the boat, but he's not here. So where is he? So they get the people that had eaten the food, they get in a boat and they follow after and they find Jesus on the other side. Now, they don't know how he's gotten there. And so they said, well, when did you come? Because we didn't see you. Well, Jesus sort of ignores their question as he often did. And he said, oh, I know why you've come. He tests their motives. He says, you come because you want some more bread and you've missed it entirely. You haven't seen it at all. And then he says to them, verse whatever it is, 26, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, I'm, I'm from God, I'm on a mission from God, he has sent me, and, 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 and so don't work for this food that perishes. You need that, but, but, but that isn't the center of your life. Work for that which uh, endures to eternal life. And he says, and I'll give it to you. Well, they'd rather miss that. And so they said, well, what are the works of God? That is to say, what, what work do we need to do in order to get this food? He says, no, 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 no. You missed it again. I said I would give it to you. Your work, if you will, is to believe. And that's what this whole passage is about. How do we receive this bread? Well, we do so as we believe, as we trust in, in Jesus. And so then they go along and, 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 and Jesus comes by this metaphor of bread very honestly a couple of ways. One, because of the feeding of the 5,000 is a sign, but also because it reminds them of the manna that was fed, given to the Israelites as they left Egypt and were on their way to the promised land, 40 years lingering, wandering in this wilderness. And how were they fed? Well, they were fed, as you remember, from this miraculous bread, uh, manna, which was really manna means, what is it? They looked at it and they said, what is this? I suppose you could do a whole laurel and hearty, um, who's on first thing from this? Oh, what is it? Yes. Uh, what is it? Yes. You know, you could go on and on. But but it, that's what it is. It, well, it, it is what it is. It, what is it? Manna. And so Jesus, uh, they said to Jesus, well, you know, what are you going to do? How can you top that? You did it once. God did it 
for 40 years. So, what are you going to do now? And Jesus said, no, you don't get it. I know what you want me to do. You want me to do this every day. You're missing again. You're missing the point. Because you see, it wasn't Moses that gave them this bread. It was God who did it. And now I come and I'm the true bread. Uh, That's why I think John in the opening chapter, you might remember this verse 17, I think in chapter one, says that the law came through Moses. The grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't mean that there was no grace in the law, nor no truth in it, that there was error. That wasn't the point. Simply saying that everything that Moses and all the law did was the point to Jesus, and it would be fulfilled in him. And there's one, this is one of the incidents. Okay, the, the manna happened, but, but that was just a sign, just like the feeding of the 5,000. That was just a sign, just a point to Jesus who was to come, who was going to be the true bread from heaven, the true bread that would not just keep you alive for a day, not just keep you alive for 40 years, but to keep you alive for all of eternity, this true bread that, that comes. And he said, you can have confidence because I have the very, very seal of God, you see. The very seal of God. Now, if we look quickly at verses, well, verse 35, he then says, comes clean and says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never, shall never thirst Verse 36, but I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. You see, that's the issue. Well, then how can we believe? How can we really grab a hold of this? And so in verses 37 through 40, Jesus lays it out. In each one of those verses, he pretty much uh, covers the same ground. He kind of circles around it and circles around it. But he keeps saying, in in essence, uh, the same thing. Verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So it seems very clear there that Jesus is saying that the Father has given people to me, various ones to me. Um, He's given them to me. So you can have a measure of certainty about, about who I am. I'm in union with the Father, and that he gives some who will Come to me. This is very consistent with much in the scripture, but especially we can see it as clear as day in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. He begins in the middle of verse 1 like this. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So there is a people who belong to God. And he says, I give them to my son. And so Jesus says, all that the father gives to me will come to me. And then he says this, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Usually the word never is not always a good word to hear when you're talking with someone. But this is a good word. Never. I'll never cast them out. And, and grammatically, at least the people who understand Greek and all of that, grammatically, this is a particular kind of saying. And it's, it's put in the negative. I'll never cast out. What he really means is, what it really means is that there's these people that God gives to me. So I'll keep them. I won't cast them out. I'll keep them. Whoever comes to me, I will keep them. It gets more clear later. Then verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's on a mission from God. He's come to do God's will, the Father's will. Then verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, that is keep, lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up 
on the last day. So how long will he keep those the Father has given him? He'll keep them to the last day. And then what will he do? He'll raise them up to eternal life. He'll raise them up. Then verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So now we get in verse 40, kind of a summary of all of this. Okay, I've come to do my Father's will. He's given me a people um, uh, and uh, who will come to me and, and I'll keep them. And so in verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So now the question is, how will they believe in him? That seems to be the ticket. How do you receive this bread? This is, they'll, they'll look upon the Son, they'll believe in him. Well, how will that happen? Well, he goes on to tell them, verse um, 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And now he tells us this. In other words, we, we've always thought he came from Mary and Joseph. And now he's saying he came from heaven. Which is it really? And uh, so Jesus answered them. He says, don't grumble among yourselves. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. So again, what's Jesus saying? He says, there's the people that the Father has given to me and they'll come to me. And when they come to me, I'll keep them and I'll keep them to the last day. And on the last day, I'll raise them up to eternal life. What a wonderful promise. Well, how are they going to come? Well, he says, the Father will draw them to himself. Now this word draw, it suggests that on the part of those being drawn, there's some resistance. I mean, if there was no resistance, they wouldn't need to be drawn. They would just come. But there seems to be a resistance. And so, so this is saying that the Father will overcome the resistance of those he's given to the Son. So that they may come to him and be kept by him and until the last day and then raised up. All right? So he's going to draw them. He's going to overcome their resistance. How is he going to do that? We'll keep reading. Um, verse 45. It was written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So God will teach it, the ones he's given to the Son, so that they can come to him. That's how he'll draw them, is by the way of teaching them. And this is, again, very consistent with what God has always said. For instance, in Isaiah, in chapter 54, we have this particular verse, sentence. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And we remember very clearly, I think, the wonderful promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord's. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. In other words, he says, listen, uh, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. God says, I'll teach you. That doesn't mean you won't use human teachers to do that. But there's something more in this. And there's something more in this we know. 
is the work of the Spirit in us. In the same way that Ezekiel says that God will take out our hearts of stone and put in a heart of flesh and he'll put his Spirit within us to cause us to walk in his ways. He will draw us, Jesus says, by his Spirit. He'll teach us. He'll write his laws upon our hearts and minds. So we'll be inclined towards him, which means he'll take away the resistance that we have because of sin. And he'll overcome that. We can't. He can't. That's the good news. We can't overcome it. He can. And he says he'll overcome it for all those he's given to Jesus. And they'll all come to Jesus. They'll believe in him. He'll keep them. He'll raise them up. What's that mean? It means if you're a believer in Jesus, then he's done this. He's overcome the resistance that you have towards him. And the Father has drawn you to himself through Jesus. That you have looked upon the Son and that you've come to him. You see, coming to him is an active thing. It's a leaving everything else behind. And it's a coming to him. To believe in him, to trust in him, to rest in him. And to say, feed me. You are life to me because you are the bread of life. And if you don't believe, then what it means is your only hope is in God. So look upon the Son. Come to him. Trust in him, you see. He's your only hope. It's your only hope. Then Jesus goes on with the metaphor in, in, in verse 51. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. Then the Jews disputed. That, well, let me go back. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We, we know what he means by that. He's going to give his, his life on the cross. 52 verse. Then the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, what's Jesus saying here? I mean, this is almost gross to think about. The, the way he puts it, I'm going to eat my flesh, drink my blood, especially if you're Jewish at that time and you're thinking, we're not even allowed to touch blood, let alone drink it. And so, what's the, what do you mean by this? Well, first let me say that he isn't referring, as it might look like he's referring, to what we have before us. At least directly. Indirectly, yes. But directly, no. Because... They would not have understood at all anything about communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper in John chapter 6 when he's talking about them. So we have to kind of stay with them for a minute and stay with Jesus and stay in the moment. Uh, he's, just simply, he's just simply extending the metaphor, which was you ate the manna and it kept you alive. So I'm just saying you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. We know that taking in this, these elements doesn't save us. We know that that's bread and for us, juice and other places, wine. Uh, but 
We know it's not the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We know they're symbols, representations of all of that. Um, so we know that simply by ingesting, it, it doesn't save us. We know that there's salvation only by grace through faith. That's the point of the whole chapter. The, the, the metaphor is eating and drinking. That's the symbol, if you will. That's the illustration. But, but the reality is believing. And so this table means nothing without believing. Well, actually it does. It could mean judgment. So believing is the thing. When Jesus uses this illustration of eating and drinking, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what he means by that is, it's you're to take me in. And when you come to me, that's what you're doing. When the Father draws you to me to come to me, that's what you're doing. You're receiving me. You're believing on me. And even, some passages, into me. You see, we're being joined together. So much so that the life that's in me is now in you. Because I am the bread of life. Now, this passage helps us, though, with this table. It's almost impossible to read John 6 without thinking now, where we are, of this, of this table. But where it helps us is that we see this bread and this juice and we realize that we must come and we must behold and we must believe. For on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we remember, it isn't simply dredging up some memory. When the Bible uses the term remember, there's a sense in which it means, oh yes, that which perhaps was in the past has now been brought forward and is vivid to me. And everything that was there in the past is now there for me here. For instance, when God says, I remembered the covenant that I had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, didn't mean that he forgot it for 400 years. He meant that it's, re- I, it's right before me right now. Everything that I promised is real right now, you see. And when he says he doesn't remember our sins, it means that he doesn't bring them forward. He leaves them in the past. And they're gone completely, you see. And so when we're to remember Jesus, as he says, this death, this resurrection, what we're doing is we're taking, as we come here, that past event and a sense in which we're bringing it forward. Oh, we're not re-sacrificing Jesus 
but we're bringing forward all that was true because of his death and resurrection. And we're bringing it forward to this moment right now. And we're coming to him and we're saying, I believe and I receive forgiveness of sins. I believe and I'm righteous in your sight. I believe and I'm adopted into your family. I I, I believe and your spirit is at work within me. I believe and you're keeping me to the last day. And I believe so that I know that on that last day, you shall raise me up to eternal life. So I can say in the midst of good times, thank you. And I can say in the midst of trouble, I will not fear. And I can say in the midst of tragedy, I, I, I will not worry or be anxious. Why? Because that moment that took place a long time ago is being remembered. And it's all coming to the fore. And everything that was true there is as vivid now as it was then. And all that happened and was true then is as true now. And I receive it. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us. The death that Jesus experienced that the life that he gave for us centuries ago in our timekeeping would be brought forward right now as we look upon this table and that we would experience no the reality of everything that took place on that day for us. And as we come and we take this bread and this juice, that we come believing, that we come beholding Jesus, we come receiving him, the very bread of life. So please take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way that all of that will take place even as we come. And this I pray in Jesus' name.